Hey, uh, this is GM and DM. Let's talk some D&D. I'm Nadav Brand, a game master. I'm Daniel Smith, a dungeon master. And today we are talking about traps. This episode is a part of a mini-series we're making about creative trap design based on each ability score in Dungeons & Dragons. And today we'll be starting with Charisma. Why are we starting with Charisma? Because, well, I don't know, first time I tried to design a Charisma-based trap, I was like, what, why, how? So we're just starting with the harder ones, uh, because everybody knows how to make a pit trap. The two options that we have uh, when designing a trap is you can either reverse engineer a trap based on existing spells by going to your favorite book or website that shows you some spells and checking their type of save. Uh, but we'll talk all about that later because that's the easier approach. We're going to go a bit deeper. And the second approach is how to homebrew uh, a charisma-based trap. So Daniel, what what is charisma? Because when I look at charisma, I always think about it like a skill, you know, deception, performance, uh, persuasion, all these kind of things, even intimidation. But what what's the difference between looking at it as an ability score, a skill versus a save, which traps always require us to do? What's the difference? So charisma does indeed govern all those things, right? But charisma itself, the ability score, is simply force of personality, right? So a trap that attacks somebody's charisma that you have to make a charisma save for, that's anything that could shake a character's composure. It's anything that would involve a test of will where the, the player's persona, their ability to compose themselves, their ability to hold themselves together is being attacked. Yeah. That's kind of it. So keeping these things in mind, uh, if we look at a homebrew charisma-based trap, how does one design such a trap and maybe just give us an example maybe that's the easiest way to go about it so luckily enough i happen to have prepared one of these earlier surprise yeah. uh, one of my favorite charisma traps uh one that i uh, have used a, a few times is something i call the demon mirror right uh, and it's based on a pretty simple concept okay the basic idea is that the one of the characters the party uh they encounter a mirror and it essentially uh, acts as a vehicle for possession, right? And that's where the charisma save enters it. Thing is, in order to make this believable and interesting, you have to set it up with a bit more panache, and you have to uh, use your environment to make the whole thing really feel appropriate. This is the kind of trap you're going to find in a wizard's tower, or a dragon's hoard, or a um, some kind of arcane object storage unit. You know, right? Um, this isn't something that maybe works in like an ancient temple or a, uh, a thieves guild or something like that. And you'll probably find this is often the case with traps like this. Things that use ability scores like charisma or intelligence or wisdom, they, they, they tend to be a little more magical. So they require a, a, a bit of a more magical um, atmosphere and uh, a bit of a weirder dungeon. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to go over how I would introduce this trap. Okay. I would use it uh, in a segment of a dungeon where the players feel as though they are pressed for time, right? Um, and I would put it in a large room that is connected to a whole bunch of smaller ones. It's often 
you know, easy to think that, well, players will, you know, they'll see all these rooms and they'll be like, oh, we explore this one, then this one, then this one. The thing is, if you attach all this to these small details, all these little rooms, uh, often players will split up, especially if they feel somewhat safe. So which of the actual rooms this is in, right, doesn't really matter. This is one of the kind of secrets of DMing. Like, if a player enters the room and you think, hey, one of these rooms, and you think, well, this trap isn't too great for them, you know, you can describe them differently. And one of the other players enters a different one, and you're like, okay, well, you know what, this is the party fighter. It would be really great if they got possessed. Yeah. So the room that the target character enters should be choked full of arcane spoils. Various trinkets of different shapes and sizes in glass containers, lining the walls. Some appear dormant, others seem to have aged to dust after they've been shattered. Others are all over the floor, smashed beyond usefulness. Now, the reason this stuff is here is to, to set the tone. It's to, it's to establish that this is a place where somebody has been keeping possibly dangerous kind of arcane equipment right, cool. or artifacts, thing, things that maybe people shouldn't be messing with, the exact kind of things that their characters want to find, right? So now, in the corners of the room, on one corner, you have a, a, a tall shape covered in a thick protective cloth that is, judging from the frame jutting from one side, is a mirror, right? And then on the other side, you have a chest, a solid metal chest. The reason for this is that players will often be suspicious of any kind of weird item. Most players will actually go for the chest first. They'll give the mirror a wide berth, because mirrors are weird. They're weird. Yeah. So the chest, usually, I'll describe as being ha having a solid metal seal, right? So there's no key. There's obviously some kind of trick to it. And you can incorporate this later into the dungeon. There can be something else that opens this, right? The main function of the chest is for the player to, to look around on it and go, mm, well, I can't open this here. Maybe there's something in the room. Maybe I need to explore all this stuff. Let's check the mirror. It's a red herring. It's it's the it's a red herring. Absolutely. Them, yeah. It's it's there to make them feel like they need to look at everything, you know, a bit more. I yeah. mean, this works yeah. best, I think, if the players are looking for something specific. They're in this dungeon, or they're in this wizard's tower, or wherever, because they're searching for a MacGuffin, a thing they need or a thing they really want, right? And having this salt Everybody seal wants a MacGuffin. Chest, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so having this sealed chest makes them think, ooh. I want to know what's in that. I'm going to look around the room for anything I can use. And eventually they're going to pull that blanket off the mirror. When they do, they see a disheveled, wide-eyed version of themselves, covered in festering wounds, their appearance distorted in unnerving ways. Uh, and it's best to, if you know your players, you know, uh, draw on things that you know kind of weird them out. Yeah, Like, um, if you know they don't like spiders, maybe their reflection, their character's reflection, has weird insectoid eyes or arachnid eyes, I guess. Now, the moment they look at it, the reflection grins madly at them, and boom, they've got a save on a uh, DC 15, let's say, charisma save. Creepy. Right? Or, or the moment they show alarm, the moment they open their mental defenses, they shrink back, the demon bound in the mirror jumps in their body, and they find themselves in the mirror. Ah, cool. Now, there are two ways you can go from In the ideal circumstances, you would actually wrap up the session at this point, and you wouldn't tell the player what had happened, at least not around the table. You'd tell them online or in the kitchen afterwards, and you'd discuss with them like what's happened and how they should be acting in the next session. And if you don't know your players well enough, 
though, you can just go for an immediate kind of um, freak out where the character immediately attacks the other players, immediately tries to escape, or immediately tries to um, ruin whatever plan they have. Like Maybe they're sneaking around, right? And suddenly this guy starts running out of the uh, room or the temple or whatever, and it's, he's going to alert all the orcs. So when you say that he gets possessed, you wouldn't tell the character on the table that he gets possessed? You would tell him in secret so that the other players don't know. So he acts based on it. Yes, yeah, so in the ideal circumstances, that's exactly what I'd do, right? Right. Um, I would give the, I would say to them, listen, you're you're possessed. Uh, your character has this demon in it that wants to uh, it wants to escape this place. It's trying to get out. Uh, it knows everything you know about your fellow companions, right? Uh, and it will attempt to manipulate them. It'll try to leave. It'll try to uh, play them against each other, right? Yeah. Um, when it comes to combat, I'll take control away from him, and I'll also tell him. You know, initially, uh, your character is now in the mirror realm. They can follow everyone around. They can explore the dungeon, but they can't interact with anything. Right? They can, if they find any reflective surfaces, they can try to contact the other players huh. and uh, wing it a bit with that. You know, I'll just be like, right. Essentially, poltergeist rules apply. What are poltergeist rules? Right. So. So the idea is, you know, if you're trapped in like the spirit realm or whatever, you can have a little bit of influence on things in the physical, but it has to take effort. It has to, you know, you have to succeed on some kind of massively difficult check to move something or to uh, be heard or to right. be noticed. Right. You know, what would you um, say so, is massively difficult? Like, what's a good example of that? Oh, right. I would say, um, I mean, I'd say these would actually still be charisma checks. Uh, it, it's relatively appropriate. Um, and I would say often it would be like a DC 18. Like, okay. uh, in certain cases, it could be easier. So let's say they have a really good um, report with the party wizard. They know each other really well in character. Maybe the DC goes down a bit. You know, it's easier for the, uh, the wizard to like, hear them across the planes or whatever. Or... Right. The question I have here is how quickly the other player characters pick up on this. So let's say yeah. he attacks them, then what? Right, so... Um, it breaks the meta really quickly. This is something... What I'm describing right now is what you do if you know your players quite well and you know which ones are really on board with this sort of thing, which ones enjoy role-playing this sort of thing. I would say don't pick a player who is going to just immediately attack the, uh, the, the, other, the rest of the party or is immediately going to do anything like that. Um, I would say pick one who is interested in, in playing out this kind of stuff. Right. Um, thing is, though, if you don't know your party very well, um, if you don't know, you know, or if you're not sure how they're going to react, um, you can just have the demon wig out completely and go on, go on a, on a rampage. Um, usually, you want to leave some kind of loophole open to get the the actual player back. Generally speaking, I run this as you've got to actually get them back to the mirror. Like you've got to drag this thing, this demon in the uh, in this cre cre this creature uh, in your comrade's body. You've got to get it back to the mirror, and you've got to force it to look into the uh, mirror itself. And often what it'll be is a lot of the session will be the player character who is trapped in the mirror realm trying to influence things so that they can, you know, they can, t they can tip everyone off. And that's going to involve a lot, of, uh, a lot of passing notes. And if you're not comfortable with that, then don't do it. Do the, the simpler one where the, 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 the demon just attacks, right? But that essentially sums up the trap, right? Uh, it's, it's relatively basic. Uh, in fact, 
it, this is almost a reverse engineering of uh, a spell. I mean, like, uh, or an effect. The um, I believe it's the ghost's possession in 5e is a charisma save based effect, and this is close enough to that. Right. Something like this simply just has to be dealt with a little more finesse. It's not just a mechanical effect that you run through. It would create the whole session rather Absolutely. than uh, just a trap Absolutely. and a save and some damage. You can also disguise it. But, you know, disguise the failed save by rolling damage right there and then and having them fall unconscious. Right. And the other guys pick them up, right? Yeah. And, hey, it was just a thing that knocked him unconscious, you know? And he was fine in the end. Even if it's not the end of the session, he's just out for the... He's just out for a little while. I mean, you can do this at the end of the session as well. Like, because uh, if you make somebody roll a save and nothing happens, the session just ends. You don't know what happened. Players are always going to wonder, the hell happened? What was that weird mirror? What did it do? Now, the question, like, because we want to give players, obviously, the chance to not get possessed by a mirror. Yeah, At the absolutely. same time, you're planning such a fun, interesting thing for them. <laughs> how, how do you deal with that? It's if the guy with the weakest charisma bonus runs into a room, it, it can just be, this is, that's the room. That's the room with the mirror in it. But let's right. say he passes, then what would you well, do? I'm, I'm thinking, like, passed. do you have... Yeah, then. Uh, so... Would you try to make another character do that? Oh, absolutely. I would actually assume that he will, you know, he'll see this creepy mirror, he'll see this this thing, like, like grin at him in the mirror, and he'll be like, okay, that's weird. I'm going to get the rest of the party. I mean, there are some players who will just go, I'm not touching that, I'm going to cover it back up, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave. Yeah. And if they do that, then, hey... Good on them. They they showed good sense. <laughs> you know, like they, they did the right thing. <laughs> like, uh, but a lot of players, you know, they'll see something like this and they'll be like, "Oh, I want to. It's cool. I want to figure out what's going on with it. Uh, let's bring the wizard in. He's got high arcana. Right. He can look at it and try and you know, right. yeah." What about designing it in a way that it could be also like rewarding if he makes his save? Sure, you could target as you know a what? DM. That's the, a great idea. You you could you yeah, could that's a fantastic idea. You could make the the guy with the lowest charisma, you know, go there. But if he does make it, it's not just like oh nothing happened, right? Like failing forward, you could make him yeah, yeah. say the yourself grins at you back. He kind of holds uh, a pot of gold. You could try to interact with the gold, and if you then make maybe make another save, mm. and if you get that save right then you, he he hands you a pot of gold. Absolutely. I mean, actually, I was just thinking, so, again, ideal circumstances, you want the players to be looking for something in the dungeon, give them a real reason to comb over it and check everything. Yeah. What you can do is, uh, is so if they save this this creature, this this phantom version of them, it just, you know, it, it extends its hand beyond the frame of the mirror, so it, you can no longer see it. It pulls it back, and, and now it's holding whatever they're looking for, right? Yeah, that gives them the impression that this thing knows where this thing is. This thing understands what we're looking for, and it knows where it is, and it could tell us if we can somehow figure it out. Anyway, that's one example of a charisma-based trap. But I believe you have an example of a reverse-engineered one to share. Yeah, basically the idea is to look at spells, and then look at spells that have charisma-based saving throws, and design the trap based on those spells, roughly speaking. So how do you find spells, right? There are two ways. One is a book, 
and just go through the spells and find the charisma saving throw based spell. That's a lot of work. I like work being done for me. So I went to D&D Beyond. And in D&D Beyond, if you go to game rules, and then there is a thing called spells and it shows you view all. It doesn't look like a button, but it is a button. And you click on that. And then when you click on that, it brings you to the spell search, which is very convenient. Show advanced filters. And there you have save requires. Yay. And then we just choose charisma, hit filter spells. And then you have all the charisma-based spells right in front of you. Very easy peasy. So then I had a look a bit there. And the kind of spell that I was drawn to, they're all amazing spells. But the kind of spell I was drawn to was Zone of Truth. And I decided to design my trap based on that. The thing is about traps, they can be a short thing and they can be a long thing, right? And your your trap was a really amazing trap, but it was a whole session. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Right. And and that's perfectly fine. This trap, I think, can be either just one room, the one I'm designing, or it could be a whole dungeon by itself. And I think charisma-based traps tend to be more of a... Yeah, well, they're more complicated. They tend to be more magical, you know. More magical, but also require a tad more personality, yeah, which means absolutely. the players need to do more than just roll a dice. Yeah. So if you look at the length of traps, right, this could be one room or this could be a whole dungeon. And so a setting for this kind of trap could be a long forgotten temple of a god of truth that was uh, repurposed by a mad mage that used it to prove the bad nature of mortals. Right, yeah. Something like that. Or the temple of a trickster god who decided he wants to prove that people are their own worst enemies. Exactly. Or, or some sort of vetting system for a tribe that want to, to check if you're worthy or, or whatever it is. Oh, that's right? nice. Yeah, I like that. That's cool. It's very important, this kind of trap, to make sure they can't meta this. Because the way... So let me just read out Zone of Truth so people understand what we're talking about for the people who don't know. You create a magical zone that guards against deception in the 15... 15- Put radius sphere centered on a point of your choice within range. Until the spell ends, a creature that enters the spell's area for the first time on a turn or starts its turn in there must make a charisma saving throw. In a failed save, a creature can't speak deliberate lie while in the radius. You know whether each creature succeeds or fails on its saving throw. An affected creature is, all, is aware of the spell and can thus avoid answering questions to which it would normally respond with a lie. Such a creature can be evasive in its answers as long as it remains within the boundaries of truth. Now, that's the spell as written, right? This is if somebody else is casting it. But as a trap, you can modify it a bit if you want and just get the general essence of it. So the way I designed this trap is that you enter some sort of room in a dungeon and behind you the stone wall comes smashing down. In this room, there's a small platform. You're not really sure what this is about, and there's a little bit of a mystery at the beginning. Then somebody rolls investigation, and they find some old writing in some old language that says, who is the most useful? And then they can start talking to each other, right? They start to talk in the party, who is the most useful? And they figure out that they, after they discuss a little bit, that whoever is the most useful goes and stands on the platform. And if they actually had a discussion, this is up to the god slash GM slash sentient trap, if you will, uh, to decide if they actually talked about it and agreed on it, right? And there are various degrees of how you want to do that. Uh, maybe you choose one person in advance, but I think it, the main thing here is to 
make the party talk to each other to to have this kind of really interesting RP situation. Like you would never have the party talk who is the most useful, right? But yeah, because there's yeah. a trap, they need to do that now. Um, interesting. So that could be that could be just one room, but you could also do that. This is just starting easy, and then the next room is another one like that. But it's the question now. The question is not useful, but it turns a little bit darker, and you say, "Who is the laziest?" Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and then they need to discuss who is the laziest, and then it starts to get a little bit. Okay, you know, nice. It's, it's yeah. not. It's not angry yet. It's not annoying. It's not bad yet, but it's it's starting to get a bit negative. And then the next room, you say, "Who is the most selfish?" Right, ah. uh, and that you, you slowly take them there, and at some point the the players will rebel against. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, 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 so, yeah. Almost, um, almost certainly, yeah. But maybe this could be some sort of contract that they they were either the chosen ones, or it could be a really, it could be a, a very important part of the game, so they know they can't rebel against it. Maybe you could. It, it's that kind of setting. Yeah, that they know they have to do it. It's not just like some money and loot yeah absolutely i mean if, if there's something really important they're trying to get and it's th this this mechanism is between them and it they'll probably play along if it's something meaningless they'll be like they'll look for ways around it you know and maybe there's yeah be, and maybe maybe yeah maybe there should be one maybe in every room if they roll 20 or above investigation they can find a little off switch or something <laughs> um maybe they can lie really well yeah maybe they can lie and the thing is is that Everybody who enters the room rolls the roll against the spell's effect yeah. secretly. So people don't know or shouldn't know, if I was to run it, uh, the players wouldn't know who is lying and who isn't lying. And you could, you could have other questions like, uh, what is worse than death, right? And it's just a really interesting way uh, to basically make the party answer questions, learn about who they are as characters and learn who they are as a party. So that's, that's the way I look at it. Yeah. I mean, I, I really, enjoy, I really like that. I mean, it's similar to a bunch of stuff I've made before. Um, a very similar concept and yeah, I enjoy stuff like this. Yeah. This is great. Mm -hmm. yeah. Nice. So, uh, so why is it a charisma save, right? <laughs> it's because you still have control, but it is a modified version of yourself, right? You still have, it's, it's not like it takes over you. Like, it's a compulsion. It's something it's compulsion. that is yeah. It's something that is trying to force you to act a certain way. It's not, you know, your mind has it's not taken charm. away from you. Yeah, it's not mind control. Exactly. It's a it's a exactly. force pushing down upon your your strength of will. Exactly, and your strength of will can push back. Yeah. So yeah, so this is an example of a reverse engineered spell based charisma saving throw trap. But please feel free to go there and just get inspired by the spells and base it on them, you know, and you can make your own rules because you're the GM. Yeah, whatever you say goes, man. Exactly. So yeah, I think that kind of sums it up. Uh, so these were two approaches to two charisma-based traps, one homebrew and one reverse engineered. Uh, what are charisma-based traps that you have made? Uh, feel free to write to us in the comments below or write to us. We would love to hear from you. Uh, stay tuned for our next episode where we will talk about intelligence-based traps. And until next time, this was GM and DM. And remember, you can always blame the dice.